again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Should you go to church? Jesus did. Of course, the church Jesus went to was a Jewish synagogue, but he went regularly. Do you like to think Jesus is present at your church? I would hope so, but what if Jesus wasn't welcome at your church? What then? Steve Brown, founder of Key Life Network, brings us this message entitled, When Jesus Leaves the Building, which covers Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 24 and 28 through 30. Thank you for joining us today. A number of uh, years ago, I was invited to a church in Louisville, Kentucky. It was a Baptist church, and the pastor said, Steve, we haven't had a Presbyterian in this pulpit since 1830 when the church was founded. You're the first, so don't screw it up. I said, uh, why would you invite me and... uh, I mean, I don't want to be here either. You Baptists are like weeds. You're everywhere. You can't get rid of you. <laughs> why, why would you invite me? And he said, because I've been listening to what you teach. You only ride one horse, but you ride it well. There was a time when that would have offended me. It doesn't so much anymore. Things change. I'm a cynical old preacher now, and I know the truth about me and about you and about the church. When I was young, I did premarital counseling as a pastor. There were three sessions, and they were all required for those who would have me officiate at their service. One of the sessions was on sex. Another of the sessions was on money. And one of them was on Jesus and his relationship to marriage. After a year and a half, I gave up the one on sex. They knew more about sex than I did. And then I looked at my bank account and how I'd messed that up, and I decided I have no business talking to young people about money. Money and sex are the two areas that cause serious problems, but they could get that from somebody else. But I clung to Jesus, and I knew a lot about him. So I kept that lecture As I said, I'm old. When I was young, I thought I'd be a lot better than I am. Frankly, I thought you would be too. (laughs) But we're not. Ray Cortez is a friend of mine at Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Florida. He's in a little tiny community, and I asked him why he went there, and he said, I went there because I could make a difference. It was a sewer, and I was going to clean up the sewer, and his church almost died. And then he said, I recognized that there was a sewer, but the sewer was in me. When I saw that, 
when I began to teach it and be honest and authentic, then God began to do things in the church where he sent me. When I was young, I thought I would study the scriptures, and I have. I thought I would find profound new insights and I would offer them to the family of God. Now I'm more confused than I was when I started. When I was young, I thought I would win the world to Christ. When I was young, I thought I was going to make a major difference and an impact for Christ in the world. And now I'm old and none of those things have happened. Now I'm old and the dreams that I had have been shattered. Now I'm old and I look at myself and I know the truth. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And so I've reduced and reduced and reduced the message. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. If you have your Bible, turn to the fourth chapter of Luke. This is a great text. It is the essence of the Christian faith. It is the one place where Jesus himself tells you what he's all about. It is the job description of Jesus. Let me start in the first verse of the fourth chapter, no, the 16th verse of the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Listen to God's word. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me the proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And then Jesus gives a very short commentary on Elijah and then dropped down to the 28th verse. And they heard these things, all the synagogue 
they were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. We're going to get down in a minute, but I just can't. I'm a preacher, and I'm a pastor in the church, and I'm probably preaching to the wrong people, but please note that Luke points out that Jesus went to church as was his custom. Why did he do that? He did because he liked the preacher. No, because the music was so great. No, because he wanted better business connections. No, he came to the church because that's the place where God resides in a special and a wonderful way. Do you know I was Richard Nixon's pastor? I went to the church he attended in, uh, in Florida and in Miami and the press came. I remember one Sunday morning when the world press came into my study and they were sitting around asking me questions. And I thought, Lord, you're very fortunate to have me. <laughs> I could really make an impact. And then Nixon, if you remember your fairly recent history, went through Watergate screwed it up bad and had to leave office. He never came to my church. Now, he came after he fell, and I liked him better then. He came after he had been publicly shamed, and I liked him better then. He came after the fall, and after the fall, there was humility, and there was in that humility a degree of power. But I remember one Sunday morning when it got out that he was going to be in church. The Secret Service came to make sure there weren't any bombs. They patted me down to make sure I had left my gun in the car. And then the people started coming. They filled up the church. There was only standing room around the church. And... And uh, then it became apparent that the president was not going to be in the congregation. And about half the congregation got up to leave. I said, sit back down. Jesus is here. That ought to be reason sufficient for you to worship. And to my embarrassment, I was quoted in the Miami Herald the next Sunday morning. But what I've said was true. I wouldn't go across the street to worship with any president, but I never miss Jesus. I don't want to beat you up over, over the head about it. I mean, you're here. But aren't you glad? There's something different about this place. I remember the first Easter, I was an intellectual, didn't believe anything, and God was beginning to change my life. And I remember for the first time thinking, that dead man got up and walked. 
That corpse got out of a grave. And not only that, he's here. And I was so excited. And then I noticed the church was filling up. And we had worked all winter at that Cape Cod church to get one more person in the pew, one more warm body. And then everybody came at Easter. And I was livid. And the janitor, his name is Ralph Richardson, and he died last year, and I loved him a lot. Came into my little study, and it was little. And he said, Pastor, sit down. And I sat down. He said, you get one shot at these folks. Don't screw it up. He got up and left. And I climbed in the pulpit remembering that the ushers should have counted one more. I know more dirt on the church than you can possibly imagine. For some reason, people come to me all over the country and tell me the stories of how the church has killed them. And I get Augustine's statement, the church is a whore, but she's my mother. And next Sunday, I'll be sitting in my congregation and Jesus will be there and it will be my custom. Well, enough about that. Let's look at the job description of Jesus. Jesus has entered the building. That's when the church is alive. He is there. He is here. And when Jesus is in the building, if the text is right, the first thing you ought to know is that it's good, dear friend. It is all good, every bit of it. Notice what Jesus said. He didn't say, I came to beat up the pagans, to straighten out the world, to bring fire. He said, I'm preaching good news to the poor. I'm going to bind up the hearts of the oppressed and set them free. I'm going to give sight to the blind. It's good. It's all good. You maybe saw this. My pastor read this. Two or three weeks ago, it was an invitation that was printed in the bulletin of a fairly prominent church. And I love it. Listen to this. We extend a special welcome to those who are single, married, divorced, filthy rich, dirt poor, no habla ingles. We extend a special welcome to those who are crying newborns, skinny as a rail or could afford to lose a few pounds. We welcome you if you can sing like Andrea Broselli or like our pastor and you can't carry a note in a bucket. You're welcome here if you're just browsing, just woke up, or just got out of jail. We extend a special welcome to those who are over 60 but not grown up yet and to teenagers who are growing up too fast. We welcome soccer moms, NASCAR dads, starving artists, tree huggers, latte sippers, vegetarians, junk food, food eaters. We welcome those who are in recovery and are still addicted. We welcome you if you're having problems or you're down in the dumps or if you don't like organized religion, we've been there too. If you blew all your offering money at the dog track, you're welcome here. 
We welcome those who are inked, pierced, or both. We offer a special welcome to those who could use a prayer right now. Those who had religion shoved down your throat as a kid or got lost in traffic and wound up here by mistake. We welcome tourists, seekers, doubters, bleeding hearts, and we welcome you. Is that cool? I like it. And I like the flavor of it because, because it says what the church is all about. It's good. It's all good. I teach my students at the seminary. Don't be boring. For God's sake, don't be boring. It takes an idiot to take something exciting as the Christian faith and to bore people with it. Don't do that. But also tell them you have to work at it to add a kicker to make people feel bad. We criticize Joel Osteen. <laughs> He's, his theology's really messed up. And I wish you'd stop smiling. <laughs> but it wouldn't hurt us to be that way, too, because this is good. This is really good news. That's the job description of Jesus. You're forgiven. Who's going to forgive you? You're loved. We're having Liberate Conference in the next three weeks. And the theme of the Liberate Conference is this. It's finished. And it is. So speak in tongues and dance and laugh or do whatever your heart desires. And as a Presbyterian, smile a little bit more. But notice in the job description of Jesus that it's not only all good, it's all contingent. You say, I knew it. Brown talks about grace and good news, but he's got a kicker. Yeah, I do, but it's not the kicker you think. Jesus said, I'm preaching good news to whom? The poor. If you're not poor, he's not talking about how much money you have in your checking account or your pocket. He's talking about how screwed up you are, how sinful, how often you've tried to get it right, and you can't get it right. He said, I'm going to give sight to the blind, and that's not those who have seeing eye dogs. That's people who've tried and tried and tried to get this thing right and can't get it right. He is offering freedom and liberation to those who are in prison, and that's not those who have committed crimes. It's those in the church who are so bound up and so anal and so angry and so condemning that it's a prison. I'm, uh, I'm working on a new book. Every time I do that, the angels laugh. This one is Hidden Agendas, How the Masks We Wear Hurt Us and Those We Love. And as a part of the research in that book that I was working on this week, I was reading Albert Camus' The Fall. And if you read that in college, and I'm sure you haven't afterwards, people don't read it for fun. Camus was an atheist, French, existentialist, absurdist, and he was fascinated with the Christian faith. 
And in the novel, The Fall, Jean Baptiste, you remember, is a lawyer. He's benevolent. He's kind. He's generous. And he's walking home from his mistress. And a lady is getting ready to jump off the bridge into a river to kill herself. And he turns away and walks as she jumps. And he can't even hear her screams. If you don't identify with Jean-Baptiste, you don't get it. Jesus is not for you. If you think you've got this thing together, been working at it a long time, almost got it. Jesus is not for you. He came for the sick. He came for the sinners. I loved Randy. Randy, you got you got to be careful about these things. You don't. You're a pastor. You don't stand in front of people and say you're scared. You're supposed to preach on faith, and and how you have courage, and how you're going to stand. You get up here and take your clothes off. Y'all not do that in church. But didn't you feel good when he did? Because life is hard. We're all struggling to get it together. And we have to be kind to one another. So when Jesus gave his job description, he was in church. And it was good. It was all good. But it was contingent. But thirdly, it was irritating, so irritating. Do you notice how it changed? They were so pleased with the homeboy in church. My mother used to parade me in front of my church because nobody <laughs> would believe it. I get that. The homeboy went to church. That's cool. But, but within 10 minutes, they're parading him out on a hillside, and they're going to kill him. What? What's with that? I interviewed Paul Zoll. You'd love him. He wrote Everyday Grace, and it's a book that blew me away. He's old like me, and we just did a video for pastors. <laughs> and uh, Paul was telling us in the video, I had lunch with him. It was like having lunch with C.S. Lewis. And Paul said, he's an Anglican to the tip of his toes. He's quite proper. And he gets grace so deeply and profoundly that it would blow your socks off. And, and Paul said he went back to a, he, he's been the president of an Episcopal seminary, the rector of very large and prestigious Anglican churches. And he went back to a church that he had served in another state and he took his grandson with him. And they were walking through the cemetery and he was looking at gravestones and he thought, I was intimate with those people and they're dead. They're now under my feet. And then he saw one and he thought, good. Said, this man gave me more trouble than you could possibly imagine. At least the present rector's not going to have to deal with that sucker. And then he looked and there was no death date. It was born so-and-so and no death date. And then it dawned on Paul, hey, he's not dead yet. He's still kicking. I said, well, what did you do? He said, I got on my knees and prayed for the rector. <laughs> what is it? What is it that makes people so angry? 
What is it that's so irritating? Because of what I just taught you in the second point. We come to church so people will notice how good we are when we ought to come to church as announcement to the world that we are above all men the most needy. We come to church. We come to church so we can feel good about ourselves when we ought to come to church to feel forgiven about ourselves. We come to church in order to make good connections with the good people who are in the church when we ought to come to church to associate with a bunch of other sinners who know it. And if somebody like Jesus tells you that the other stuff is drivel, it makes you angry. Then there's one more thing about the job description. It was good, all of it. It was contingent. It was so irritating, but it's all there was. Notice the last verse of the text. Jesus, they're going to throw him over the side, and he just walks through the crowd, and he leaves. <laughs> Elvis has left the building. <laughs> well, that's an old big shake. But when Jesus leaves, you remember when they accused him of destroying temples? spurious but it's true how does he do that he he leaves that's what he does he just gets up and leaves the building because he's not comfortable unless he's with winos and drunks and greedy people and sinful people he just leaves and the temple is destroyed. And then we get better. That's the point. I'm better than I was. Some of it's old age. Some of it's Jesus. I love people and forgive people and cut slack for people I didn't used to. Some of that's age. Some of it's Jesus. But he won't hang out with you if you have it together. I got, a, I got a message last week. I hope I can get through this. A dear friend of mine died. Died drunk. 35 years ago, I told him I liked him. In fact, I told him I loved him, and he said, you wouldn't if you knew me. I said, I'm going to set aside Saturday, and you tell me why I wouldn't like you if I knew you. I'll be the priest, and you confess. And he, he said, like hell. But he showed for two hours some of the darkest stuff you've ever heard. I married Jack and his wife, and they went through a divorce. And he wept to me one time, said, said she's the only woman who ever loved me without reservation. And I, and I destroyed her. We emailed twice a week, and I told him about Jesus over and over again, and finally he got it. He said, that's all there is, isn't there? And I said, yeah, it really is. I don't know. I, I don't know his family, and, I, and I'm not going to call and ask. He may have committed suicide, or he may have just gotten drunk and drank himself to death. 
at Thanksgiving, he um, needed a drink, so he drank the hand sanitizer in the family house so he could get high. One of the most brilliant, gifted men I've ever known. He had risen to the pinnacle of his profession, and he blew it all. And, uh, and he had gotten a job back in his profession, and he'd gotten a secondhand car and a little apartment. It looked like things were getting better, and he was going to be sober for a while until the email that I got the week before he died, and he said, I've blown it again. Do you think Jesus could love me? And I said, oh, Jack. Jesus loves you a lot. And then they called me and told me. And I, uh, and I prayed. And I was assured by the God of the universe, however my friend died, that he said, it's hard, child, isn't it? You don't have to do it anymore. You come on home. And if you listen to what I taught you this morning, you know why. You think about that. I'm in. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.